This is Interplay, Conversations in Music. I'm Michael Shapiro, your host, and welcome today to my special guest, internationally acclaimed in every way, Elliot Forrest. Hi, Elliot. Hey, Michael. Always good to see you. Great to see you. You know, many people know the voice of Elliot Forrest, sometimes the face, the voice uh, on WQXR. There you are, on WQXR, or you know, on various other uh, places online and television, Lincoln Center, so forth. But I want to talk today about Elliot Forrest Productions and what you have done as a producer, including something we did together. And hopefully we'll do more things together when the lights come on again. So let's hope so. Let's hope so. So meanwhile, as you know, I've been talking to you about radio the 1920s phenomenon being the milieu where people go in their own homes to listen to music. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And look what's happened. But I want to talk back. I met you 10, 15 years ago. I don't remember the, the year at an American Symphony Orchestra League conference when you had a booth, when you had just started, I think, doing your video presentations with orchestra and could you talk about that and then we worked together in creating an original story of yours called the babbling orchestra but let's start with you for years you were a voice you were a voice in wncn you were a voice on a and e on the radio all kinds of things qxr now for many years but when did it come into you i know you have an acting background but when did it come into you to be a person who would produce direct and create uh michael actually um i you know i grew up in a relatively small west texas town midland texas and uh i was 19 years old when i walked into a bank and i said i think you should give me some money i'm gonna do a show in the park I didn't even want to borrow it. I just wanted them to give it to me and be a sponsor. And uh, they did. And um, I, I produced Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in the park with my friends. I, I bought the rights. I did everything right. I got went to what was an MTI or whatever it was. We rehearsed in, you know, basements and, and uh, backyards. And uh, at 19, I, I had a thousand people come see a show in the park. And um, I've basically been recreating that sort of feeling of uh, taking charge on a show, conceiving of something and then seeing it through to the very end uh, for, you know, 40 some odd years. I, I have, I don't even call it a detour. It's a bit, a huge part of my life to be a broadcaster, but my degree uh, was in theater as a director. And um, I just never, I came to New York to be involved in theater and to produce and direct and just never made any money at it. And, uh, and so was on radio and then 12 years at A&E television. And then uh, I got a call from a friend who was producing a concert in 2005 at the Hollywood Bowl and, uh, and said, you should take the lead on it, I'm too busy. And so it was really that concert that brought me back after decades of really not producing and directing on a really big scale. It was the last 
90 minutes of Go to Damarung with John Cherry and the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. It was a big success. We got a, yeah. Yeah, we, got a, we got a big review and everyone loved it. And then I came back to New York and I said, this is a business. I'd like to add visual elements, add theatrical elements, not just projections, but other theatrical elements to symphony concerts and uh, have been doing it ever since, including most recently being on tour with Itzhak Perlman. We're going to get to Itzhak Perlman shortly. I want to go back because Malcheri is also a friend in common. I was on the phone with him yesterday. He's just done a concert when the lights were on with the Royal Scottish Orchestra and Alan Cumming of the pre-story to the Nutcracker, where Drosselmeyer and his brother come from. And he made his own arrangement. It was fascinating. When you did go to Demerung with John, and I remember when that happened, um, did you have fireworks at the end? Like the fireworks that they have at the Hollywood Bowl? Uh, you know, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, and I had a partner at the time, a business partner, who said, are we doing confetti and fireworks? And it was really uh, set the stage for the way I've worked ever since, which was I let the music tell me what the, what to add theatrically. And as you know, Wagner wrote the stage directions for the ring cycle. And um, and there, it didn't say fireworks and uh, and confetti. So but there was fire real fire and you know we can i can send you pictures but uh yeah we put propane on top of the hollywood bowl because wagner wrote in the distance you can see valhalla going up in flames and it's like okay let's have that go up in flames so it was extremely theatrical and very exciting uh but again i i always want the music to tell me what to do rather than trying to add on anything that um that 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 uh is i mean i hope that my concerts are fun but i don't do it just for fun i try to let i try to amplify the music with the theatricality let's talk about after good to demerung so you're on qxr at that time i think in 2005 right and you do you're doing going out to do get to demerung um is do we then jump to considering matthew shepherd or are there things in between that I oh no there's about? huge a lot, uh, i've had a long it was that was uh, that was uh, 2016 was a uh, matthew shepherd and uh, right. directing for pbs and being on tour with them so uh no there have been uh, dozens of shows in between the one of my biggest collaborators has been the little orchestra society uh, right after I got back from uh, doing the Hollywood Bowl, I met with a number of orchestras and the Little Orchestra Society hired me to do uh, a gala of theirs at Town Hall and then several shows at Lincoln Center. They actually came to me and said, uh, <clears throat> you got an idea for something? We're thinking Americana. And I knew that uh, we were a couple of years away from the 200th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's birth, I guess. And um, so we did a big Lincoln concert at Lincoln Center, and uh, it was uh, it was really great. It was great fun. I got uh, James Earl Jones to be the narrator. We also did a an, another program after that called um, Music Takes Flight about um, man's interest in flight from Icarus through the space program, and Sigourney Weaver was the narrator for that. We did that both at Alice Tully and Lincoln Center. So there were a lot of shows in between in which I've added again theatrical elements set pieces um, in some cases costumes and usually almost always some level of projections that's marvelous um i'm curious about the little orchestra society work and i know with babbling orchestra is there a different approach when you deal with concerts for children versus concerts for adults um I, uh, I'm not sure. Um, 
you know, it's, you know this, Michael, that unfortunately in our business in classical music, things tend to devolve into two different categories. And it's not usually young and adult. It's usually right. serious or pops. And we kind of don't have any other terms for that, which is really too bad because yeah. I think a lot of the things that I've done have been not serious, but not pops. They've been great fun, but not pops. Um, and then some of the pops things have had some serious undertones as well. So I'm not sure what to call it. But um, I've done a couple of things for children. I just did, um, it wasn't so much for orchestra, although I had classical music. I did my own adaptation of The Emperor's New Clothes, which is now out on video and on YouTube. But um, I had um, kept hearing, The Emperor Has No Clothes in the news stories. And I thought, what's the original story? What's the actual original Hans Christian Andersen story? So I got as close to- I'd like to say, I'd rather see your Emperor's New Clothes than our current president. In, in, in that final well, fortunately, scene. he's not in the theater business at, anymore God. right now. Well, or maybe he is. Frankly, maybe he is in the theater I business. I think he is, regrettable. Um, We're getting back to so, Andrew's new clothes. Um, yeah, so I um, got a translation of the Hans Christian Andersen, made a couple of editorial changes, very few, frankly, um, and, and did that. But I think, all, you know, my stuff for kids have always, my favorite stuff as a parent has always been like the Muppets or or Pixar, where there's always a little something for the adults. And you know yes. the kids aren't getting it, uh, but right. there's a little something because somebody else paid to go see the movie. So um, yeah, it's, um, and Little Orchestra was not always, they, they used to have an adult program and many of the shows I did were actually not for kids. Um, uh, the music takes flight and the Lincoln, you know, certainly young people were invited, but it was actually more for their adult audience. You know, you're talking about um, the uh, things for children with something for adults. Our children, I think, are somewhat similar in age. Did your kids watch on Saturday morning with you and your wife, um, Pee Wee's Playhouse? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I would watch it by myself. I'm not sure my kids watched it or my wife, but I've seen Pee Wee. Yeah, well, it's, it's amazing that that was a Saturday morning show for years, and you know, looking back on it, it it's pretty phenomenal what he got away with. I know, and if you What's, can go on YouTube and see Mario Cantone's old shows for kids too. Oh my God, Mario was a little eye-opening as well. A little bit. Let's go back to. Uh, one project with which I had personal experience because I journeyed to Dallas to see you producing with your buddy, uh, uh, Craig Hell Johnson's Considering Matthew Shepard, which as you know, I think as a choral piece, I find phenomenal. I told that to Craig on multiple occasions. And when I first heard Conspirare, when I came to the rehearsal, and I came into the hall and I heard that sound with every singer perfectly in tune, who gets the best singers. It reminded me in a way of hearing the Vienna Philharmonic or the Vienna Philharmonic for the first time, mm. playing, Schu playing Schubert. Yeah. <laughs> Not everything. They yeah. don't play Ravel well, but hearing <laughs> their effed repertoire, when I heard it for the first time, I just fell back in a great feeling. And when he had that first chord in the Matthew Shepard piece. I was just floored. Now, that was a production that was done at the Moody Performance Hall, which is a high-tech hall. I think yeah, it's where they shoot uh, Austin City Limits, the long-running television show. Yeah. 
um, was where we shot it in Austin. Uh, the Moody, I think, was the where you saw it in Dallas, I think. That's correct. I was right. there for many reasons in Dallas that week, and I was able to see it. And then I was with you when Craig conducted the course at the interment of Matthew's ashes at the National Cathedral. In Washington. So, yeah, yeah, that was stirring, right. unbelievable. And by the way, I was there before the pandemic hit, and I went into the crypt, and I saw the plaque. Oh. He's, he's in the same area now as Helen Keller. Right. Uh, his ashes. So, yeah, for those who don't know, and, you know, it's a part go, of history let's now. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Matthew Shepard uh, was a gay young man in, in Casper, Wyoming, who was uh, taken out to a field, beaten horribly, tied to a fence and left for dead for 18 hours. And um, it was a turning point in the gay rights movement. It was really the first time in America that America really stood up on mass. Clinton was president. Ellen DeGeneres had just come out. Will and Grace had just started on the air within, within months of that uh, ahead of time. So really, it was the first time uh, a, a gay man was uh, killed and America revolted uh, emotionally. And it was a turning point not only in the gay rights movement, but ultimately the hate crime act that is now a federal hate crime act is named in part uh, in, in Matthew's name, along with James Byrd, the African-American who was dragged by a truck in Texas until- It's just atrocious stuff. And it's, it's, to me, it's all Nazi redux, every piece of this. It's the same hatred, same awful things. Right. But let's talk about your visuals. Oh, is what, what you brought for that for that yeah so the the backstory is is that in 2016 they had already workshopped the or it's an oratorio if you haven't seen it or heard it and you can hear the music it's on spotify and google play and everywhere and the video is is on um the, you can probably link it to this conversation if you want i can give you the link but uh, the pbs special i directed is <clears throat> as part of that as well. But I got a call in 2016. They had workshopped it already. They were going to shoot it for television. And a friend of mine who had done the staging ahead of time said he thought I was the right person to direct it for TV. And then I got involved right away. And it's stunning. As you said, the music is amazing. Conspirare has been around for more than 20 years. Full disclosure, I'm on their board now. So okay. uh, I, 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 I don't get paid or anything to, to say that they're phenomenal, but they're phenomenal. And um, it's a beautiful work. And we were, we've been on tour. We did it twice at Ravinia. We played in Laramie. We literally went back to the scene of the crime and performed this uh, all over the country. And now some 40 other productions have, have been around the world. And we're just now about to release a video of all of us, which is the big chorale at the end. And the audio mix is from I don't know, 25 or 30 different productions of different singers. And you see people from all over the world singing in it. Well, I think Craig, um, so Craig created I a think great it'll piece. Be, yeah, and um, and I sort of enlisted, or you know, uh, as the director, I took the lead on saying that I felt like we needed projections uh, for not only the television version but the touring version because it's um, while it's Matthew's story in somewhat of a line linear narrative fashion, it's still not completely easy to follow. Because um, it jumps around a little bit. And so I felt like putting it in time and place and having uh, the emotional connection of having landscapes and pictures of Matthew. Ah, this and, is where I was uh, going. Pictures of the killers. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. all those other aspects of projections uh, would help the storytelling. 
let's go to that specifically. We can use this as an example, or we can speak of other pieces. You're given a piece of music. How do the projections project not only the story, but the underlying emotion of where we're going? That's what I'm most curious about, your creative process. And where do you get the materials? Well, um, I mean, the first part is the first part, which is what, what do I, what's the, what is the emotional arc of the story? That's first and foremost. Where are we coming from and where are we going to emotionally? Um, and, and then from the narrative, what can I do to reveal that narrative, both uh, contextually and, and emotionally? And sometimes projections and uh, theatrical elements are um, sometimes they're a background to what's going on in a foreground. Sometimes they are the foreground and they take center stage in what the audience is watching. And sometimes it's counterpoint. So uh, I think about all those things. I think, do I want to counter what's going on on stage? Do I want to amplify what's going on on stage? Or do I want to take, take the stage? And um, so I just try to sort of do an interesting mix of those three things so that I know I'm, I'm, I'm helping the story along. I, what I never want to do, particularly with an orchestral work, if I take an orchestral piece and it's a symphony orchestra and there are no soloists and it's projections in the back, which I've done many times, I never want the orchestra, I never want the audience to forget that there's an orchestra, that there's a 85 or 100 real live people on stage. Yeah. I never, I light the orchestra. I never turn the lights off on the orchestra and say, hey, watch the movie. You know, and that's a different experience, and that's happening now where you can watch Back to the Future or Raiders of the Lost Ark or E.T. with a live orchestra, which I love. Or, but that's not the experience I'm, I'm going for. Frankenstein. <laughs> or Frankenstein, which, which I've which, done. I've done your Frankenstein. We're, we're going to talk yeah. about Arts Rock I next. Produced that. You sure did. And let's talk yeah. about Arts Rock. In addition to your broadcasting, your producing, your creating new um, venues, and all kinds of wonderful things, like Matthew Shepard, like Gifted Demeron, like <laughs> Babbling Orchestra, which we'll get to. You have something called an, an entity now in its how many years? Arts Rock has how been, been a long We're in our 11th, 11th, yeah, 11th season in Rockland County in New York. Arts Rock is a, an organization that I'm very pleased to say that I go to many of its concerts and support your activities as a, as a very small donor and participant. And Thank you. you do everything. I have heard <laughs> at Arts Rock, Simona Dinnerstein play in a very intimate setting, Chrysleriana of Schumann. I've heard songs of protest in which folk singers, well-known ones like Mr. Chapin and Nora Guthrie and all kinds of people, Tom Chapin, have appeared singing classic Woody Guthrie and other great songs of protest. I've heard um, recreations of, of great, um, uh, I should say, pop rock music. I've, I've been to um, uh, New Orleans Fest, whatever you call it, well, we have Cajun yeah, food uh, and, and dance. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras and, and dance to Cajun yeah, style Niag. music in Nyack. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's a very, and then you have the children's programming, which I look forward to bringing my grandsons when I see them again <laughs> uh, after this is over. In any event, um, 
it's a very wide panoply of events that you put on at Arts Rock. Right now, you're yeah. like everybody else on hold, although you do put things up on video. Where do you see, where do you want? And I ask this of every participant in Interplay and in my conversations in music. I ask everyone that's been on so far, many of your friends, you're, we're here now. We've been through this. We're going through this. God willing, there will be a uh, vaccine or herd immunity or whatever we need to get out of this. Where do you want our truck to go in 21, 22, 23? It's just a great thing you do. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, it started pretty organically. One of uh, my board members once said that uh, every community needs a hospital, needs police, needs a fire department. They also need their own arts. And that's really the idea of it is that, you know, uh, Nyack, New York is 45 minutes from Times Square. But having said that, not everybody can afford to go, have been able to afford to go, has the wherewithal to go to the Met or Broadway. So the idea was to bring professional performing arts to our own community at an affordable price uh, in, in a way that even if you can't afford it, we give away a lot of tickets. Uh, it's not a very big organization uh, uh, and uh, by design. And as a matter of fact, probably if it were a really large organization with our own venue, we probably would have gone out of business during this uh, lockdown. Right. Uh, but, um, but we're still here and I hope to just continue the mission of professional performing arts in and around our community for a diverse audience. And uh, you're also in I an interesting town where you are a part of it, you're in an interesting town because Nyack has a great collection of actors, writers, long history, performers. Edward Hopper originally yeah. grew up in that town. His house is a wonderful small museum commemorating his memory yeah. right on Main Street there in the main yeah. part of town. And it's got the view of the Hudson. You live right close to, you can walk to downtown from where you live. And do, uh, yeah. You should, it's good for you. And <laughs> Nyack is an interesting town because there's great interest and your concerts are extremely well attended and very intimate. Well, but we have also a number of venues. We have a number of venues that we use. One is, uh, you know, you were at one that was like a hundred, but we also have one that's 500. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know that when I put on a concert and 500 people come before and after, they're going to go to restaurants, they're going to go to bars. Of course, this is both pre and post yeah. pandemic, uh, but it's part of the economic fabric of any community to have these kinds of events. And uh, that's why we do it. So James Galway, Lady Jean Galway, played it at your Arts Rock twice, I believe. Yeah. And I, I've I, seen, it, I was at the uh, second one. Michael McHale. It took me ten years. To, it was, yeah, it took me ten years to get him to come here, and then like a a year later, two years later, uh, Lady Galway calls me up and goes, "We need a run out concert. We're doing one in your area. Can we come do another benefit for you?" It's like, who says no to that? Yeah, what a magnificent pair of people they are. Not only as musicians, but as human beings. I I so enjoyed spending that night, that day and night with them at the rehearsal and, and the performance, and then dinner afterwards. Oh my God, it was just a culmination of many years of, of admiring their art, really. It's something else. 
And I thank you. For I've that. forgotten all we the good work we've done. I, I so appreciate this walk down memory lane. I, uh, I, I, well, I've been I, to, I've been to about, you know, we've been to about at least a half a dozen, if not more, of yeah, our trucks. Yeah, as thanks. a finale to this, and then we're going to talk about the future. I want to talk about a piece you and I wrote together. You said to me at one point, I don't know how many years ago, you said to me, I wrote this text. And maybe you look at it. Talk about how you wrote that text and why you did. And then I'll jump in and fill in some of the rest. Well, I literally felt like, uh, you know, I've been doing all this work for orchestras and not that much for young people. And people kept coming to me and going, Tubby the Tuba, Peter and the Wolf. There's nothing else. And so I thought, well, maybe I should write something. And um, I literally started with Tubby the Tuba. Um, maybe I'll start with a piccolo. And so I started to write this little story that, uh, you know, in a way was a bit of an allegory. Um, you know, the story of a young woman piccolo player who was tired of playing alone and ventures into town and discovers that uh, there's an orchestra there, but they it's just a cacophony. They can't talk to each other. Every section of the orchestra speaks a different language. And so it, you know, it became a metaphor for society that people not getting along and, and not being able to play well with others. And um, so it, it came out pretty quickly. It's in rhyming verse. I was pretty happy with it. And I said, I had this piece and, and uh, at the time you were the head of an orchestra and I said, uh, but there's no music to it. Maybe we should find somebody. And you said, how about me? So I wrote the Babbling Orchestra, which can be seen and heard on babblingorchestra.com uh, with diva good friend Coven as the piccolo soloist. She was for over 30 years, principal piccolo of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra and a soloist in our performance. It has video that is created by elementary school students from the Chappaqua school system. It was our hope in future years, and we're still gonna do it, Elliot. We're gonna get out there to go to other locales in which we can get the kids to draw the, the, the videos of what happens in the story. It was narrated by your one and only Elliot Forrest, brilliantly, on, and I conducted the Chappaqua Orchestra. Um, what we I saved on a lot of salaries that way. Oh God, did we ever? And that's composer, that's our composer, na composer, composer, uh, conductor, narrator, writer. Right. We we, we we did pay Diva and the orchestra. That is right, true. Of course. And but the kids. Uh, well, we won't talk about the kids. In any event, <laughs> we have great art on that on that video, and it, it, uh, Sir James Galway has given it a very nice um, uh, send off, and Lady Jane in the right on the website, endorsing the piece, which is very endearing. Um, now, here we are. If you had your druthers and the ghost of Ronald Wilford came to you and said, Elliot, I will promote you throughout Europe and America doing this. And you said, but Sal Yurok is representing me. <laughs> what would you then do? What would you want to do next? And then next, and then next. Any ideas? Well, it's been quite a gift, frankly, to come back to producing and directing in a much bigger way than I ever imagined and not in a world I ever really thought about when I was younger and doing theater and was focusing so much on plays and musicals to be a part of the classical music world. And then to get this oratorio was a gift and be able to direct that as well. 
Um, I, um, I love being on the radio and, and I think that that will continue, but I think that uh, there are more and more pieces that I would like to direct and produce. There's um, some interesting new technology that has come my way recently that I'm interested in toying with. And, um, and I'll just give you a little, little piece too, is that there's uh, there's a back of the drawer story um, that sounds horrific, which it is uh, the very first child abuse case to go to trial in America. Uh, and the way it really came about is a great American story. It's a 19th century story. It's kind of amazing. Actually, it involves people like P.T. Barnum and the people who started the ASPCA. There's, wow. it's, a, it's an amazing ragtime kind of story where it's, uh, you may not know the story, but all the people involved you know. Um, and I've been working on that for a while. So uh, if I don't finish this and get this up on its feet somewhere before I uh, die, it, it would be a Shonda. So um, well, let's do I, it. I have, I have so, projects. So. I, got, I got things backed up I hope to get to. If it's theatrical enough, you do know an operatic composer. <laughs> I've thought about it as, as an opera. Um, I, can, I can't tell if it's a play or an opera or a musical or a movie um, or, or a shadow all, play or, or radio all, play, which I'm involved six. with. Right? I'm counting as you're going along. Uh, I know, I know. You got to figure out the platforms. Elliot Forrest, thank you for joining me. I'm Michael Shapiro, host on Interplay Conversations in Music.